Hello and welcome to Stock Stories. This is the podcast dedicated to helping you, the individual investor, make better investing decisions. And we do that through case studies of companies, large companies, and through studying mental models. Welcome to episode 37. Welcome again to Stock Stories. My name is Alex. I'm your host. And yeah, thanks for joining us for another episode today. If you joined us last week, you heard us talk about Republic Services, which is the second largest solid waste company in the United States. And we talked about what the waste management industry is, what are the different components of it, a little bit about how economics work, and then specifically talked about Republic Services. Well, today we're going to look at one of their competitors. So if you have that um, that episode still in your mind, um, the in- industry information will be helpful here as we jump into the competitor, which is waste management. Let's get it. All right, so waste management is kind of like the bigger, older brother to Republic Services. As a company, they are the biggest waste management company in the United States. And let's take a look at their history. So the waste management industry in the United States is actually not that old compared to a lot of other industries. As far as large companies coming up and consolidating in the industry, We're actually kind of in the middle phases of that right now in America, where there are a couple key big players, but regionally, the waste management industry is pretty fragmented. And compare this to, say, the beverage industry, where Coca-Cola, Dr. Pepper, Snapple, and Pepsi have been in charge pretty much of that industry for many, many decades. But waste management is a little bit different. They did not start until the early 70s. And they actually um, IPO'd in 1971. And they're headquartered in Houston, Texas. So if you recall some of the numbers of Republic Services, they serve millions and millions of customers, but kind of in the teens as far as millions. Whereas waste management serves 21 million customers. So they are the largest waste management company in town, in the country, not just in town. So they were started actually in 1968, and there were three guys that started it, Wayne Huizenga, Dean Buntrock, and Larry Beck. And what they saw was an opportunity to consolidate this fragmented U.S. market. And consolidate they did. They immediately went around the country and just started buying 
uh, trash companies, basically. So they made 133 acquisitions within the first four years of business. They just went on, on an acquisition spree and just sought to consolidate as quickly as possible, grow as quickly as possible. So in the 80s, they acquired Service Corporation of America, and that was kind of their big jump from being um, a smaller but fast-growing waste management company to being the biggest in the United States. But something under the surface wasn't right. Something was going on internally within the company that, in spite of all this growth, ended up holding them back um, and stunting their growth in the future. So it came to light in the late 90s that between 1976 and 1997, which keep in mind, this is over 20 years, the executives at Waste Management cooked the books in order to look better to Wall Street and to investors. And here's what they did. They didn't properly depreciate their truck values. They moved money around on the income statement. They used all sorts of accounting acrobatics to make themselves look better. Now, there's a big lesson in this, I think, for for you and me. And that is, if we cannot trust, as individual investors, the numbers that the company is putting out for us to make decisions on, then we have absolutely no business investing in that firm. And this applies not just to common stocks. This applies to real estate. If you're trying to buy commodities, bonds, any investment that you are considering, if you can't trust the numbers, if you can't trust management, turn around and run the other way because that is not a place where you want your money to be held and to grow. Um, so, But this, this accounting scandal came to light and... It was so big that a new CEO came in in 1997 and he ordered an internal audit of the company and this revealed that earnings had to be restated for the prior five years, which totaled $1.7 billion, which was the largest um, restatement of earnings by a company at that time. And this was just a really big deal because the company just lied to investors and yeah, they were growing. Yeah, they were making money, but they exaggerated those numbers. And so that was a huge bummer for shareholders. Not only this, but, um, things start to change. So a new CEO came in in 1998 USA waste, which was a competitor ended up buying waste management and ended up just keeping the waste management name, so another large acquisition. And in 1999, here we go again, another accounting scandal and another misstatement of earnings. This one involved the accounting firm Arthur Anderson that was playing a role. And if that rings a bell, you may remember a company called Enron. Now, Enron was this large energy company and Arthur Anderson was involved in that whole debacle, which is another story for another day. But basically, they did some shady stuff as far as the way that they were accounting for different assets and income. And turns out they did some similar things with waste management too. And so Arthur Anderson, pretty much the accounting arm of that company, no longer exists. 
due to those scandals back in the day. Um, but again, another scandal for waste management, which was a big bummer. And in 2005, they ended up settling with the federal government for $30.8 million. And unfortunately, shareholders lost 33% of the market value of their investment because of this scandal. So sorry to start this episode off on such a depressing note, but this is real life. This is what happens to companies sometimes. Sometimes the people in charge, maybe they're well-intentioned, maybe they're not, but at the end of the day, sometimes people make mistakes and this culture of covering things up can be, uh, be really detrimental to a company. And it eventually shows up sooner or later. You can't hide it forever. So the good news is that after this second scandal, all the management team was fired and replaced. Um, non-core businesses were sold off. So there were some other kind of ancillary businesses that waste management had, and they got rid of them. And then around 2001, the company started to kind of be reborn. They started to make consistently more money. They started to become viewed more favorably in the eyes of investors and I would like to think, I don't know this, but I would like to think that the culture changed. Um, but um, who knows? So throughout the early 2000s, waste management kept making money, kept growing, kept making acquisitions. And then in 2008 came, and this is where Republic Services actually enters the story. Waste management wanted to continue aggressively acquiring companies. And so they approached Republic Services in 08 and said, hey, we want to buy you. And they were willing to pay a premium for that. Now, Republic Services rejected their bid. And so Waste Management uh, went back and said, okay, well, we'll make you an even better offer. And so they made a better offer. Republic Services rejected them a second time. Well, at this point, Waste Management withdrew their bid um, and also keep in mind that this was right around the time that the financial crisis was going on in the United States. And so I think the combination of that second bid being rejected as well as the financial crisis starting to affect these companies, um, waste management decided, okay, we're, we're not going to go for a third bid. We're going to focus on our business right now. So Republic Services was almost a part of waste management, but they remained independent and remain independent to this day as of this recording. So that's kind of the history. It's not a super long history of waste management, but a history nonetheless. And it just goes to show that trust in management is really important. And also that acquisitions have played a big role in the growth of these larger businesses within this industry because the industry does remain fragmented. So what does waste management do? Well, they pretty much do the exact same thing that Republic Services does. They just do more of it. And they're well diversified geographically. They're all over the country. They have lots of landfills, transfer stations, etc. I was comparing the sources of revenue of waste management versus the sources of revenue for Republic Services from last week. And they have very similar ratios between the collection services, the landfills, the transfer, the recycling, the other services. But a key difference is that Republic Services 
relies 74% on their revenues from collection, whereas waste management only relies 53% on collection. Uh, Waste management has somewhat more diversified revenue streams than Republic Services does, and they're larger. Does that mean they're a better investment? Not necessarily, because certain segments of revenue may be more lucrative than others, as well as the fact that when you're already the largest company in the space, it's harder to grow at a faster rate. Most of your returns have already been given to investors who invested when you were smaller. So just wanted to keep that in mind. But, you know, being the biggest player does have its advantages. You have more economies of scale in your operations. You can typically be more efficient and hit better financial metrics that way. So just a comparison between the two biggest players in the space. So they typically have their contract similar to Republic of three to eight years for residential collection. And Republic typically has theirs from one to five years. So a little bit longer contracts can be nice as far as locking in their exclusivity with certain communities for their services. And waste management has been doing some innovating. They have tried different things to boost their business other than just buying other companies. They were the first major waste company to focus on single stream recycling, which is, if you're not aware of what it is, basically you can recycle different types of materials all in one bucket. So it takes a huge burden off of you and I, the consumer. We don't have to necessarily sort our recyclables ourselves. We can dump our paper and our cardboard and our glass and our plastic all into the same bag or bucket. And then companies like Waste Management and Republic Services will take that and use technology at their uh, transfer stations to sort the materials automatically for us. And basically it's way more efficient and utilizing technology to recycle things better, which is good for the environment. So they were a pioneer in this space and they're not the only ones doing it, but just to say that they were the first mover in that. So as far as the financials, they have been just kind of plodding along revenue-wise. In 2017, they made over $14 billion in revenue. In 2010, they made $12.5 billion. So I just want to add another data point there. In between, in 2015, they made $12.9 billion. So in the five years between 2010 and 2015, there wasn't really a big jump in revenue. It only went from $12.5 billion to 12.9. So the last couple of years in the waste management industry have been really good. And so that's why there's that jump from 12.9 to 14.4 over just a two-year time frame. So if you smooth all that out, that's about a 2% annual increase in revenues uh, year over year. As far as the net income, um, waste management made almost $2 billion in this past year and made almost $1 billion in 2010. So that's an 11% growth in income. The earnings per share, though, has grown from about $1.98 in 2010 to $3.21 in 2017, which is a 7% annual growth rate. Now, if you look at the published numbers of earnings per share for 2017, it actually says $4.41, 
but I subtracted a dollar and 20 cents to account for the one-time benefit of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. So again, I'm accounting for these tax changes. I'm a little tired of accounting for them, frankly. I'm looking forward to getting some new fresh data in 2018 so we can have that one-time thing removed because all these companies kind of have that in their data because um, they're required to, but it's not as indicative of the long-term earnings power of the business because it's a one-time thing. Um, So the numbers should smooth out better next year. But nonetheless, that's what we have. As far as the balance sheet, the cash has been basically the same. I mean, they had $0.5 billion in 2010. They barely have... um, 200 million, uh, or excuse me, 20 million in 2017. So the cash, you know, this is a capital intensive business. They don't really have a lot of cash going around. They have a lot of property. They have a lot of trucks. So about 11 billion in trucks and other equipment. Total assets have been around the $20 billion mark for several years. And the debt has hardly changed at around 8.7 billion. So looking at the financial statements from several years ago to today, the balance sheet itself, it looks almost exactly the same as it did seven years ago, which is really interesting to me. What does that say? That means that the growth of the company isn't really existent. I mean, maybe the cash flows have grown, maybe the income has grown because of pricing and other things, but the actual liabilities and assets of the business have basically remained unchanged. So waste management is a slow and steady large company, but they're not really growing much. So as far as the last financial statement, the cash flow statement, they have grown their operating cash. So in 2010, they made $2.2 billion. In 2017, they made just over $3 billion. So they are increasing those cash flows. As far as reinvestment in the business, it's been consistent over the years of about 1.3 to 1.6 billion, depending on the year. And the vast majority of that money is being reinvested through capital expenditures. As you can imagine with a business like this, you have to maintain your landfills. You have to constantly meet EPA regulations. You have to service and, and buy new trucks that are efficient to collect all of the waste. There's a lot of heavy equipment involved. And so that requires constant reinvestment and constant amounts of money. Um, And then there tends to be a few hundred million dollars in acquisitions every year, too. So waste management is mainly growing through acquisitions, um, some volume growth, but slow volume growth, and then price increases occasionally. But this is not the type of business where you see huge pricing increases year over year. And that's just simply because they're basically a utility and people don't want to pay more for utilities because they're viewed as commodities. Um, so the differentiator between companies within commodity-like businesses, I mean, it's basically price, right? Price and service. So the lowest cost producer tends to win. And so it remains to be seen whether waste management will be the lowest cost producer. That's something I've kind of been investigating. Um, but all in all, the financial cash... Um, it's been going up a little bit. It was $1.2 billion in 2010, and in 2017, it was $1.8 billion. So they borrow a little bit more money every year, but most of that money is split evenly between paying dividends to shareholders as well as buying back stock. 
So waste management is pretty shareholder friendly in that it uses a significant portion of its cash flows to give it right back to the shareholders. And you would expect that for a large business like this. So in 2010, they paid out $1.26 per share in dividends. And in 2017, they paid out $1.70 per share. And this is almost a 5% annual increase. So that's a good sign that, okay, you've got a large business kind of as a slow grower, but a grower nonetheless kind of humming along at 4 to 5% growth. And the dividends are indicative of that. The share count has decreased, but not that much. It went from 475 million in 2010 to 433 million in 2017, which is only about a 1% a year decrease in share count. So yeah, they buy back shares, nothing too crazy. And yeah, they pay dividends, nothing too crazy as well, but they do do it and they do return cash to shareholders. So that is admirable and something to look at. The stock price right now, it's around $87 in November 2018 as I record this. And their earnings per share is expected to be around $4 a share. So that's about a 21 times earnings multiple for price to earnings, which is that traditional valuation metric that I've been using um, for these episodes. And so the dividend yield is about 2% right now. And they buy back about 1% of their shares a year on average. And then the organic earnings growth plus the growth from acquiring other businesses, that can range. But if I had to guess, I think it could grow 5 to 8% in the future. 8% is probably a little, a little optimistic, probably closer to the 5% range, frankly, just based on the way things are going and the fact that they're already the largest player in the business. And so if you add all that together, you get about 8 to 11% total returns annually. Um, but I do think that the valuation might compress a little bit. 21 times earnings, ah, I don't know. It might, be, it might be a little high. It might be fair. So you might maybe looking at somewhere between 7 and 10% returns, which is nothing to sneeze at by any means. Um, I just wouldn't expect shoot-the-lights-out performance from this type of stock. But it is a leader in its industry. The accounting scandals are behind us. And <laughs> they are using a different accounting firm now, not Arthur Anderson. And so uh, there's some something to look forward to there. And yeah, they just kind of steadily go along making acquisitions and collecting trash and waste. Uh, so they're, they're basically a, a somewhat slower moving, bigger brother to Republic Services. So... That's waste management for you, and that's all I have today for you today on that. Um, if you made it this far in the episode, thank you for listening, and I appreciate your time and your attention. I value it highly, and I'm just really excited to share with you everything that I've been learning about every company that I bring to you guys every week. And if you have any feedback or suggestions, I'd love to hear them. Um, yeah, hit me up on Instagram. Um, I'll put that in the show notes or my email address as well. So with that being said, I'll see you next week. The 
The information presented here on Stock Stories is for informational, educational, and entertainment purposes only. You and you alone are responsible for your investment and financial decisions. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, or financial advisor that can analyze your specific situation in the context of your goals and circumstances.